a, a woman who, when I first read this passage, I was, you know, you look at it and you don't really see it at first, but then God begins to show us some things in this passage as it relates to this woman's, uh, how her faith was developed. So Romans, the fourth chapter, we go back there, uh, starting at verse number 16. Uh, we saw uh, from this passage, as Paul writes to Rome, you have uh, your outline, we, the last couple of weeks we've shared on this. So we want to just read it just for, for our by way of memory, and then we'll move forward in faith to see what God has to say to us. So the, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses if we have faith like Abraham's. Uh, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. Next verse says what? That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. He's the God who calls those things which be not as though they already are, right? Uh, and as I oftentimes tell you, one of the things that we got to realize is that God speaks what he sees in the spirit realm, not what he sees in the natural realm, okay? God speaks what he sees in the spirit realm and not what he sees in the natural realm. That's important for us to get an understanding on because we don't always look like what we, what we are. Is that accurate? We don't always look like the loving husband. We don't always look like that, uh, the doting and adoring and respectful wife, right? There are sometimes when, when uh, if you look at us in our, in our natural element, we don't, we're not, we don't look like what we really are, all right? So, but God has a, a, a way of seeing beyond the natural realm and looking into the spirit realm. God also has a way of seeing uh, uh, through time. He's not bound by time. So God will say something about us that we can't see, even see about our own self, okay? So I've learned to speak what God says and not what I see, amen? So he says, Abraham believed in, in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Verse number 18 says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. The ver next verse says this, and Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. And next verse says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promises. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. Guys, when, when we walk in faith, we bring glory to God. When we walk in faith, God can get the glory out of our lives. And that's what God is wanting to do. He, he, he created us and he wants to have relationship with us and fellowship with us so that he can use us to bring himself glory. Now, God, God chose us. He, we get to participate in advancing the kingdom principle. It's not like a have to, but we get to do it. I oftentimes say this, I, I don't have to pastor this church. I get to pastor this church, amen? It's, it, to me, it's a privilege and an honor to be able to shepherd the people of God in this church. I'm not coming up here every day uh, uh, moaning, bemoaning the fact that I'm passing this church and all those folks, you, they just, you, just don't know, you just don't know black people. I, I, I know pastors who say that kind of stuff, and I, I, it, I dread that because 
when you get the opportunity to pour into people's lives spiritual truth that you know will transform them if they will take it and receive it, man, that is a privilege. And God even says this, you know, not many of us ought to be running to try to be teachers because we're going to be held to a higher standard. Amen. When you teach people and then you go off the deep end, off the rails, God's going to hold you accountable. So I get to do this. I get to spread the gospel. I get to share something that can help transform people's lives. And I count it as a privilege and not a burden. Amen. I count it as a privilege and not a burden. So we saw as we looked through Abraham's life that although he was old and all that, we saw that God came through. They had a child and he truly is the father. He became the father of many, amen, because he believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So on last week, we wrapped up by telling you, look at your outline. We said that Abraham's life shows us that when, when we look into the word of God, we must do three things. We must receive that word. Uh, we must respond to it. And we must reflect that word. Everybody say, receive that word. Respond to that word. And reflect that word. Okay? So receive it, respond to it, and reflect it. Abraham did that. He received what God uh, had said about him. He responded to that. Amen. He responded to it because he had to get, get, to, get together with Sarah and produce a child. Amen. And he reflected that word because it came to, to pass in his life. Now, let's go to, uh, if you will, let's look at the next person here. Uh, the Canaanite woman exhibited uncommon faith. Let's go to Matthew, the 15th chapter and verse number 21. Matthew chapter number 15, and we'll begin our reading at verse number 21, okay? Matthew 15, verse number 21. Um, and the text says, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. The text says, A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her Severely. Now, guys, before we jump into this, uh, the context of this, this particular passage here, Jesus is, goes to this Gentile region on the heels of having addressed some issues uh, or some questions that some of the Pharisees had, and they were trying to, uh, to belittle him or demean him or to trap him because of some dietary restrictions and laws, okay? And so, uh, the, uh, so he gets into this, this part right here. Uh, let, let's back up just for, for a second. I want to share with you uh, what Jesus was teaching on when he went into this, uh, this, this particular coast or this Gentile region. Back up, if you will. Let's go to uh, verse number, uh, well, back up to, uh, to the first part of the chapter. Let's go to verse number one of this 15 chapter so we can set the stage for this, okay? All right, the text says this in Matthew 15, uh, verse number one. Let's go. It says, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. The text says, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? They demanded. They ignore our tradition of ceremonial, ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Okay, now watch this. They were coming and they were confronting Jesus because the, the disciples did not participate in this ceremonial hand-washing before they ate. Now, this is not about personal hygiene. This was about tradition. Everybody say tradition. Uh, tradition, uh, as I've told you before, is a powerful thing. Tradition will have you in a, in a state to where 
you won't allow the word of God to work in your life. The text says that Jesus replied, and why do you by your traditions violate the direct commandments of God? The next verse says what? For instance, God says, honor your father and mother and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be what? Must be put to death. Uh, verse five says, but you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. All right, now watch this, because again, you've heard me share this before. Uh, there was something that was called as the law of Corbain, and anyone who made a Corbain vow uh, was required to dedicate money to God's temple uh, that otherwise would have gone to support his or her parents. So what some people were doing were they were taking a Corbain vow or even they were pretending like they were taking a Corbain vow and money that they, that they would have given to their, their parents and said, I can't give it to your mom and daddy because I made a Corbain vow. And so they were using their tradition, uh, that tradition of the Corbain vow to violate what they had been commanded in Scripture to do, which was to take care of their needy parents. Okay? And y'all heard me say this before. It is important and it is right for children to make sure their parents, especially if you have widows, uh, to make sure that your parents are taken care of. You can't go wrong taking care of mom and daddy. All right, particularly when it's mother who's widow, because a lot of times women tend to outlive men in, in America, okay? And so when you have a, a parent who has a need, then as an adult child, help them meet that need. Don't depend on the church to do it. As a matter of fact, the Bible even talks about that, and I don't have time to go tonight, but Scripture specifically speaks to that issue where it says that if, if there's a widow, uh, what, what we as uh, 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 Christians should do is not depend on the church to help pay our mama's light bill. When we're sitting over there, our light bill paid and we got $50,000 in the bank. You as an adult child, go help take care of mama. Is everybody with me? Are y'all on point? Okay, don't be talking about, well, I don't live, mama lived her life, I got to live my life, and I got children, I got this going on now, you take care of mama. Are y'all listening to me? You make sure you take care of mama. So, but, but, but you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. Verse number six, let's read it. It says what? In this way, you say, they don't need to honor their parents. And so you counsel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. So as a body of believers here at the church, we want to make sure that we're not teaching stuff that we heard growing up that may not be biblical. Because there's some stuff that, I, that, that we, you know, we were accustomed to teaching and doing, uh, you know, early on in ministry that we did because that was a tradition. Some stuff is tradition, some stuff, and all tradition is not bad, guys. So don't, don't knock tradition as long as tradition does not violate the word of God or cause you not to, to, to uh, adhere to and to be obedient to the word of God. I'm okay with tradition as long as it doesn't violate the word of God. Here, their tradition was causing them to violate the word of God. Amen? Look at the next verse. Let's, let's read on. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. He said, listen, he said, and try to understand. 
It's, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Now back up. He says, look at what he says. Listen and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Okay. Do you realize you offended the Pharisees is what they said to Jesus? Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted. So ignore them. They are blind guys leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they're going to do what? They're going to both fall into the ditch. Why are you following somebody that don't know the, that don't know the Lord, don't know his word? Well, you know, they've been, they've been in church a long time, so I, so I respect them. Longevity does not equal biblical uh, obedience. There are people who are in the church who are, who are uh, you know, maybe good people, but they're not godly people. There's a difference between a good person and a godly person. A godly person follows the word of God. A good person may do good stuff, but it may not be obedient to the word of God. You need to follow people who are godly. People who give you spiritual advice, okay, along with practical advice. The two have to go hand in hand. You have to, you have to also be careful people who are spooky spiritual and don't use, amen, God-ordained principles to live their life by so he says here, again, watch this, because I, I got to get down to where I, where I really want to get to. The text says, is the blind leading the blind, they both going to fall into the ditch. Then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Now watch this, because the Pharisees in their tradition had certain dietary restrictions. And Jesus has said that it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. Okay, you're not you're not made unrighteous by what you eat. Is that what he says? All right. He says, watch this. Uh, he says, uh, then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet? Jesus said anything you eat passes through your stomach and then goes into the sewer. Is that what happens at your house? I just need to know. How many of y'all have a toilet? <laughs> it's your house. Liquids and solids go through the toilet, out your house, into the sewer main. Is that correct? Or if you don't have a sewer main, if you're out in the country, you have what? A septic tank. Is that correct? Notice what Jesus said. Now watch this now, because people were making determinations of righteousness based on what went into them. And Jesus said, they ain't, what, they ain't what's messing you up. Watch this. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from where? The heart. That's what defiles you. The words that come out of your mouth are coming out of your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth does what, Cassandra? It speaks. So your mouth tells what's in your heart. Is that right? Watch what's in our hearts. Because again, what I tell you about following your heart. What I tell you about following your heart? Come on now, what I tell you about following your heart? Don't do it. The text says this. It says, anything you eat, pass through the stomach and then go to the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart comes what? Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwise hands... 
will never defile you. You're not following your tradition ain't going to defile me. That's what Jesus was saying. And he's telling his disciples this because the Pharisees were coming at them saying, you ain't following our tradition. You're not, you're not participating in the ceremonial hand washing, so your, your, your disciples are not right. She said, that ain't, that ain't, that's not what messes people up. It's what comes out of you that's messing you up. It's what's in your heart that's messing you up. Not the dress that you wear. Now, again, you dress in moderation, but it's not your dress that defiles you. It's what's in your heart, okay? Now, watch this. After having addressed that, now he jumps into another section here, and we see this uncommon faith that's going to be exhibited by this Gentile woman. Are y'all with me? So, the text says this uh, in verse number 21. Y'all there? Let's read. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed, what? By a demon that torments her, what? Severely, okay? That's torment severely. Verse number 23 says what? But Jesus came, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Now, guys, watch this. When I first saw this, when I first read this, I said, you know, I feel like Jesus is being a little rude there. <laughs> Come on now, can we, can we back up and read? Now, let's look at it in the natural when you look at it and you don't deeply suffer. You think, uh, she came and, and asked him for help for her daughter because her daughter was what? Demon possessed. And, and, and Jesus, he says, but Jesus gave her no reply, didn't say anything to her. That would be similar to if Connie came to the pastor. Listen, pastor, I, I need some help right now. My, my tire's on the flat. I'm in the middle of the road. Can you come help change my tire? And I just look at Connie. And don't say a word. Just keep on going about my business. The text says he just gave no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples, his, not his disciples, going to jump into the mix. Here they are with they with they immature, growing selves. Because guys, listen to this. Jesus chose a man, followers, twelve followers, from from different backgrounds, but he didn't choose. Uh, the cream of the crop, so to speak, the religious hierarchy. He didn't choose what we call the best of the best. He chose 12 ordinary men. And when you choose ordinary people, ordinary people like everybody else got issues. And these guys, even as they walk with Jesus, you would have thought that they were a little bit more mature than what they were. But it's evident by when you look at Jesus' interaction with them and how he's trying to teach them how to grow and how to, to carry on the gospel message once he's gone, you'll see that these guys still have some growing to do. Just like all of us in the church still have some growing to do. Is that right? So Jesus didn't say anything to the woman, right? And look at the disciples. The disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Now watch this. Let's, let's move forward a little bit. Uh, verse number 24. Let's go. It says what? Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of what? Of Israel. Now, keep, keep reading. It says what? But she came 
and worship him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Keep reading. Says what? Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dog. Everybody said, that, that sounds cold. <laughs> but but, but I, want, I want you to, you, you got to stick with this and you got to get some understanding about what's happening here. Let's, let's, let's go back and reflect just for a second. This, this woman right here uh, cries out. She has a need, okay? She, this woman cried out for three things. Number one, she cried out for mercy, right? It, listen, uh, she cried out for mercy and what we're going to see is no, no matter no matter the need, Jesus can never turn from a desperate cry for his mercy. But, 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 but two things are essential when we look at that. One, we must cry for mercy, and one, we must cry to him, the true Lord, the, the, the Savior Jesus Christ. So this woman comes, and she does that. She cried out for mercy. Number two, she cried for the son of David to hear her. That's, that's significant now. Mark that online in your Bible. She cried for the son of David to hear her. And number three, she cried not for herself, but for another person, her daughter. She wasn't begging for herself. Some of us are always begging for ourselves, but she was begging for her what? Her daughter. Now, don't miss that. Now, she, she, she truly loved her daughter, don't y'all believe? Because she's coming to Jesus seeking help. She loved her so deeply that she considered her daughter's problem her own. How many of y'all love your children like that? Well, you love them so much that when they have problems, when they're going through something, you're you going through too. you kind of feeling that thing too, right? Am I right about it? If you're a good parent now, if you ain't caring, you, you, know, you just, come on, get around it. But, but good parents feel, feel the, the, the empathy, feel the, the pressure, feel the problems that their own children are going through. So, so here she is. She says, have mercy on me, even though it was her daughter. Did y'all catch that? She said, have mercy on me. Her love was much more than the normal love or sympathy. It was a true oneness, amen, a union between two living beings, amen? So she approached the right person, Jesus himself, and cried out for mercy. Now, now watch this, okay? So, so I, I need you to understand this. I told you that she said she, she, she approached him as son of David, right? Son of David. And, and so what she was doing when she approached him as son of David, she was, she was putting herself on Jewish ground. Because, uh, but, and, and really, that's something that she wasn't supposed to do. Because she said son of David because she was a Gentile. And so she was a Gentile, and of course, the title did reveal her faith in him as the Messiah. It didn't reveal her faith in him as the Messiah of God, but it, it revealed her faith to him as as the, as, the, as, the, as the son of David. Now, Jesus is the Messiah, God's son, but she's still veering him from a Jewish perspective as the son of David. Are y'all still listening to me today? She said, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Are y'all listening to me today? Since she came to him on Jewish terms, he was silent. Amen. Are y'all listening to me? Because, you know, Jesus knows everything, right? Jesus knew her heart, and even his silence encouraged her to continue to ask. Because when she first came to him, she didn't say a word. He didn't say a word, right? How many of y'all would say, Jesus, did you hear me talking to you? I mean, I cried out, son of David, 
have mercy on me. Now, what Jesus is going to do is, I'm going to try to push us on through here. What Jesus is doing here is is he's he's trying to develop her faith. He's trying to take it from a a, a faith in Judaism to take it to a faith in uh, Christianity, him being the Messiah, the son of God, rather than just looking at him as the son of David. There's a difference, right? Son of David implies, amen, old covenant. Son of God implies what? New covenant. Are y'all with me today? All right, so watch this, watch this. So the woman, she cries for mercy. She cried for the son of David to hear her. She cried not for herself, but she cried for her daughter, right? And, and so we, as we get into this, let's, let's keep reading. He says, a, 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 a Gentile woman who lived there came, please have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Let's go to the next verse. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Yo, let me say something. You know, you have to watch out for people who don't have a a, a merciful heart. You got to watch out for, quote, Christians who don't have a a heart to try to help people. Now, we're going to see here, Jesus is going to do something about her need, but he's, he's, he's sort of baiting her into growing and to begin to recognize who he really is. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, what? Help me, okay? Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Now, when you study, uh, uh, you know, Judaic history, when you study the interaction that Jews had with Samaritans, you would know that they were commonly called Samaritans dogs. They were called Gentiles dogs. Now, again, what I want to say is the word dogs here that's used by Jesus is different than the word dog that the, that the Jewish nation commonly referred to Gentiles as. The, the, the word that they use like scavengers, you know, street dog, you know, mangy dog in the street. But what Jesus used here, the word he used, you check the root word, this word dog here was like a house pet, like a little chihuahua in your house. All right? That's different than a street dog who's, who's ravaging through the garbage can trying to find something to eat. And you got these, so, some people have dogs. How many of y'all are dog owners? All right? Some people have dogs. They spend money on the, more money on their dogs than they do their child. They board them when they go out of town. They do a low, whole lot for the dog. And, and that, that, that house dog is, is, you know, some people have the dog sleeping in the bed. I, I ain't mad at you, but I just don't want them sleeping in the bed with me. But some of y'all do. How many of y'all got a house dog? All right? You love that dog, don't you? Huh? There, there, there are people who, uh, Maria was telling me, a couple of coworkers, when they dog died, they took a day off. They took funeral leave for their dog. Any of y'all ever took funeral leave for your dog? So, so, so why am I saying that? Because there is a different connotation when Jesus says here, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Okay, different word, different connotation, different word that he uses here in this text than, than the Jews use commonly when they look down on the Gentiles in a very demeaning, in a very evil sort of way. Y'all with me? Because you all that have dogs know you love those dogs, don't you? You all that have dogs, especially in the house, you know, that dog is well taken care of. You spend money on, at the vet, you know, and, 
and, and you're buying food and you get them, get them a haircut and you, and you have to bathe them and you, and, and, and you, you know, some of the dogs know you, you know, better than your own children know you. Uh, and, and they respond to you a certain way. Am I right? I'm not a dog owner, amen? But, but I read, okay? <laughs> All right, so, so watch this. So he says it's so different connotation, okay? So look at the next verse. Let's go right quick. He says, she replied, that's true. Now look at this persistence of this woman. She keeps coming, okay? She keeps on coming. Now, some of y'all, if he had to call you a dog, you would have left. Yeah. I ain't fooling with Jesus. But this woman had a need. She was persistent. Everybody say persistent. Amen. So, so uh, uh, the text says she replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Watch this now. That's true, Lord, but even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Okay? Now, now watch, watch this. Think, think about what she went through before we get to it. She was persistent, okay? She wouldn't quit. The, 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 this woman faced three major obstacles. Number one, there was the silence of Jesus. We saw that early on, right? She faced the silence of Jesus, okay? Uh, the, this, this, this woman's love and, and sense of desperation was seen here as she kept coming back. She faced the silence of Jesus. Then she faced the objection of those, those old messy disciples. Those guys who were saying, sit our way, she's bothering us, all with all that begging. So she faced their objection. And thirdly, that was the strange statement of Jesus that, that, that she was undeserving because she was a dog. All right? So now here this woman is. She, she, she needed some persistence and some, some humility and some trust to keep on coming, right? So, so the text says here, uh, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Look at the next verse. It says, dear woman, Jesus said, your faith is what? Great. Now listen, what this woman persisted and she kept on going because she knew Jesus had an answer for her need. Am I right about it? I admire this woman. I admire her diligence and her patience because she went, you know, she went from being not told anything to being told that you're a dog to being, to being told your faith is great. Now, guys, there are two instances that I found in the Bible where Jesus said, I haven't found so great a faith in all of Israel. He, the centurion soldier and this woman right here, and guess what? Both of them were not, were not Jews. Both of them were not part of the, the God's uh, amen, natural the family he used to bring the Savior to the earth realm. Twice he said, great faith, and it came from Gentiles, not Jews. Okay, dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great, your request is granted, and her daughter was what? She was what? She was what? She was instantly healed. This woman had a, showed a spirit of humility and surrender, okay? Because she, 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 knew, she knew the relationship. She knew that the gospel was to the Jew first and then the Gentile. Y'all know Jesus said that, right? It's to the Jew first and then the Gentile. But here she is saying, listen, I want my place at the table. Listen, I, 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 maybe I'm not, I, I'm not a part of the Jewish nation, but even dogs get scrapped from the table. What she's saying is, Jesus, I need what you have. I need access to your healing power. I've heard about you. 
And now here Jesus is, is taking her from a point of looking at him as the son of David to her realizing that he is the Messiah, the son of God. And she receives, amen, healing for her daughter. Now, guys, watch this, watch this. When we look at this thing, he said, dear woman, your faith is great. Jesus is looking throughout the earth. God is looking throughout the earth to find people who have great faith. He's looking for people who say, you know what? I don't know how much money it's going to cost, or maybe I do know how much money it's going to cost, and I don't see where the money's going to come from, but God, I'm believing that you're going to make a way for me to make it happen. God, I don't know. I don't see. The doctors have said there's no hope, but you know what, God? I'm still believing for my healing. And God, I'm going to act like I'm healed. I may feel bad, but I'm going to speak what I believe. Amen. By his stripes, I am healed. My, is your head hurting, Pastor? Yes, it's hurting, but you know what? I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I ain't going to lie and say my head ain't hurting. That ain't faith. Amen. But even though it's hurting, I believe that I'm already healed. Can I get a witness up there? She said, dear woman, your faith is great. God is looking for people who have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. Okay? She was instantly healed. Now, this is real important. Now, I want you to jot a few things down because um, uh, it, it, it's real important. This woman had great faith. And, and, and one thing I believe rises above all others in this experience of this mother is she believed that Jesus could meet her need and she would not let him go until he met her need. Let me say something. She believed that Jesus could meet her need and she wouldn't let go. She wouldn't turn loose the master until he met her need. She wouldn't let him go until he met the need. Her belief was so strong that she would not quit despite being met with silence, with irritation, with opposition, with apparent rebuff by, by Jesus and the, and the disciples and being told that she was undeserving because she was a dog. She kept on. She was persistent. There is no way to describe this scene except the fact that this woman had great faith. She did not allow a man opposition to stop her. Now, guys, listen to me. We've been told sometimes that if it's of God, everything will go smooth. You're going to roll right on in there. Listen, I beg to differ. If you're moving with God and you, if you're doing something effective, the enemy is going to come and try to disrupt your flow. Listen, just because you experience opposition don't mean that you're not walking in the will of God. Can I get a witness? So this woman here had great faith. Her faith in Jesus' power, as great as it was, amen, uh, was, 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 was not, not really wasn't enough from the standpoint of she, she had to submit the right way. Can I get a witness? Her faith was not what caused Jesus to answer a prayer. What caused Jesus to answer a prayer was her personal humility and her worship of him as Lord, amen. Christ answers the prayer and the, he exercises power in behalf of those who surrender to him in humility. And that's what she did. She came to him in an humble fashion and she came to him surrendering and saying, God, listen, I, I got to trust in you. I, I got to trust in you because I know you are a healer. And so he said, your faith is great. So, so, so write this down, okay? What is great faith? What, the steps that's taken by this, this, this woman here, I think gives us a clue. Number one, 
It's, it's a desperate cry of need. What is great faith? It's a desperate cry of need. When you, when you have need for God to do something supernatural in your life, it's going to take great faith. That was a, a, it's, it's a desperate cry for need. Look back, look at back, back at verse number 22 again. A desperate cry of need. Any of y'all have been desperate before? Any of y'all, any of y'all, any of y'all have need, needed God to come through in a mighty, powerful way before? Listen, he, the text says, she came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Okay? This, this, this woman's faith was, was great because she persisted in asking and trusting when everything seemed to be against her. Like, think about this for a second. Her race, she wasn't a Jew. She was a Gentile, right? Uh, her sex, she was a female. And, and guys, a lot of times, Jewish rabbis, especially in religious leaders, wouldn't even intermingle with women in public. They wouldn't do it. Uh, and and so, so here you have a woman intermingling with the Messiah in public. Gentile woman coming to a Jewish man in public. So that didn't stop her, amen? And the disciples, again, trying to shoo her away. That didn't stop her. So, so uh, it's a, a great faith is a, is a desperate cry of need, right? Number two, it's a persistence that will not quit. Great faith is a persistence that will not quit. If you're going to have great faith, you can't give up because it didn't work out the first three times. Guys, the, the, if you think about this for a second, uh, how many of y'all, I know all of y'all have heard of Michael Jordan, right? Arguably the greatest basketball player that's played on the professional level, right? You know, they're, they're, people always come up with the, with the argument or comparison, who's better, LeBron or Michael, okay? Uh, somebody said LeBron? Yeah, okay, all right, all right. I, you know what? I, 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 we could argue that point, but you know what? Here's what I would tell you. Uh, LeBron has a, his own style, but, but Jordan was, was more of an athletic basketball player. LeBron is an athlete. Y'all realize he, he could have went to college and played uh, tight end because he was a, he's, a, he's a great football player as well as a basketball player. Michael was a, was a, uh, a, a, a basketball player with a skill set that, that far and, and a drive and a determination that, that elevated him way up. You remember he, he, they won three championships in a row, then Michael decided he was going to go play baseball? Guess what happened when he played baseball? It, it's a little different trying to hit that little ball coming at you 100 miles an hour than shooting a big basketball in, 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 in the basket. And so he didn't do so hot in baseball, right? But then he came back, guess what happened? Won three more championships, all right? He, he, he was a great athlete. And there, and there are a lot of people who are great, but guess what? Michael Jordan had persistence because how many of y'all know he was cut from his high school basketball team? All right? But he didn't give up. See, many of us sitting out here now have faced failure. And many of you won't scared to step out in faith because you're afraid of failure. Just because you fall down don't mean you can't get back up. Great faith means that, that God, I'm going to trust you. I, I don't care if, 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 this, if you don't come through here, I know you will come through at some point in time. This may not work, but something else is going to work. This woman had a tenacity to continue to persevere. 
And if you're going to walk in great faith, if you're going to walk in uncommon faith, you can't give up when something doesn't go the way you had planned for it to go. Are y'all listening to me today? So persistence that will not quit. Great faith is, 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 uh, is, is, is described as a, as a state of being where you are persistent and you don't quit. Number three, it's a spirit that worships Jesus as Lord. It's a spirit that worships Jesus as Lord. Worships Jesus as Lord. Verse 25, look at verse 25. She first came saying, son of David, right? But now look at verse 25. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Not son of David, help me, but Lord, help me. Jesus, as he's walking through, he's, he, Jesus is a discerner of the hearts of men. And Jesus discerned this woman's heart was in the right place. And so he, he in his interaction with her, he's actually pulling her along from, from, from looking at him as the son of David to seeing him as the Lord and Savior, the Messiah who was sent by God. She came and worshiped him and pleaded again, Lord, help me. So it's a spirit, great faith is a spirit that worships Jesus as Lord. Number four, it's a spirit of humility and surrender to the Lord. A spirit of humility and surrender to the Lord. So how do you know that you are surrendering to the Lord? Because most people say, I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Jesus, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Most Christians don't surrender all. How do you know when you're surrendering to Christ or not? Somebody help me. How do you know when you're surrendering to Christ or not? When you come to church? Come to Bible study? Say it again, Danny. You live according to the word. Surrender means that I give up. I'm throwing my hands up in the air, and, 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 and that's a sign that I surrender. You got me, God, and I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to govern my life according to your principles and your precepts. I'm not going to let, I'm not, I refuse to be on the throne any longer. I'm, I'm going to surrender. If I surrender, that means that I'm going to live my life according to the principles of your word. This woman here surrendered, amen. She had a spirit of humility and surrender to the Lord, okay? That's what great faith is personified by, somebody who's, who has a spirit of humility and surrender to the Lord. Arrogant people don't walk in great faith. Because you got to have a spirit of humility and surrender. And guys, let me tell you something. In the church, in the body of Christ, in Christendom, watch out for arrogant, narcissistic people who claim to be following Jesus. Are you with me? And there's too many of them out there who think more of themselves than they do of Christ. Arrogant, prideful people, the Bible said God, the, one, of the, one of the sins that God hates is a prideful spirit. And we got to be careful. So a spirit of humility and surrender to the Lord. And, and last, number five, it's a faith that receives its request. Great faith receives what it's asking for. It receives its request. Great faith does, amen? It receives what it is asking for. So, so guys, uncommon faith is, and great faith are synonymous. Here's what God is trying to do with us as a body of believers. And he's doing that with churches and believers all across this globe. God is trying to put us in a position to where we trust his word totally and completely. Now, guys, 
here's what's going to mess a lot, of, a lot of believers up. When we try to map our intellect to the word of God, when we try to, when we try to explain away God's miracle working power and we try to figure out how God's going to do something and then we start saying, well, you know, God gave you common sense. Yes, he did for most people, but you don't walk by common sense. Now, come on, let's be honest. Some people ain't got common sense. I ain't, I ain't talking about nobody here, but, but there are people who don't have common sense. But we're not supposed to walk by common sense. We walk by faith and not by what? Sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. So if, 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 you, if, you, if you think you're going to have great faith and you, 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 you try to figure everything out, put a pencil to everything, and I, I guess I'm talking to myself because I'm an analytical dude. I mean, I love analytics. I love to study numbers. I love to study trends. And, and so I have to work and make sure that I don't allow what I see to block what I believe. Can y'all, are y'all with me? I have to work on making sure I don't allow what I see and what I can analyze to block me from believing in the miracle working power of God. Because I've seen God do some stuff, amen, that's uncommon. I've seen God make a way out of no way. He's done it in my life. I've seen it during the life of people in this church. And I'm still going to believe that God's going to do some supernatural things. He's going to do some things that are exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can even ask or think. And he's looking for people in EBC who are willing to say, God, I'm going to take you at your word. That means that when I find a principle, a command, or a precept in the word of God, I take that as it is, the word of God, Tiffany, and I let that guide my decision making. I don't, listen, I'm not saying you, don't, you, you shouldn't plan. Faith is not an excuse for not planning, guys. Let's balance this thing, right? Because God talks about vision. He talks about, he talks about writing the vision down so that he that read it can run with it. You ought to plan, but trust God, amen, to help you get to the, to the, to the end of your plan. Don't not plan, but don't just trust the plan. Trust God. Great faith says, I'm going to trust God. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how many naysayers are out there. If God told me to do it, if God's word is, um, is, is in agreement with it, if, if I have a leading by the Holy Spirit to do a certain things, I'll be able to do it because God told me to do it. This woman here exhibited great faith. And Jesus was amazed at that. He only said that twice in Scripture. And the two times he said it was to people who were not a part of the chosen nation. So what, what does that tell me? Great faith, you don't have to be a certain color or a certain race to walk in great faith. You don't have to be a certain color or a certain race, come on, to experience God's blessing. God, Kanisha, is not a respecter of person, but he is a respecter of faith. And when we learn how to walk in that faith, when we learn how to say, God, your word said this. I don't quite understand it, God. I tell you what, God, you know what? I, 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 don't, I don't feel it. I don't, I, I, I don't see how it's going to happen, but you know what? I'm going to believe it. I'm going to keep confessing it because out of the abundance of my heart, the mouth does what? I'm going to speak what I, what, I, what I read in the word, not what I see out here. And I'm going to do that consistently because the more I speak the word, the more I begin to get the confidence and the faith to be able to stand on that word, Okay. So we, gotta, we, gotta, we need some people of great faith in here. There are some things that God wants done that he's going to need some of y'all to write a $50,000 check to get it done. And I need somebody who can believe God to be able to write a $50,000 check at one time. Amen. Oh, I know you gave $50,000 over the last three or four years, but I'm talking about 
God's going to need somebody who say, Pastor, I'll fund that. God needs somebody who's going to say, Pastor, you know what? You're building a storage building over there, and I know we need some storage space. Give me this shit. Baby, bring my checkbook. Here, write it out. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. How many, how many want to be in that position where you can say, let me write the check? Now, you can't fool God now. God know. Don't be trying to hook and crook on God to my God, give it to him and, and watch and see. Now, God knows your heart. But think about that. Guys, listen to me, and I'm getting close. Do you not know that there are people uh, that do that kind of stuff? There are churches that have people who have the gift of giving. There are people who, who churches who have people who God has graced them and blessed them with financial resources so they can just write the check. The appeal is made. They write the check. That's, that $70,000 we spend for that storage building. I believe we all better write, we all better have an offering one Sunday, say, so let's pay for that thing. I know we got a little savings in the, already, but, but, but let's just call an offering. Come on. And we, we can give we, two, or, two or three of y'all can write one for $3,000, and we got one that can write one for 1000 Some of you might say, well, I got 500 pastors, that's all I got, but it's 500 plus 500 plus 500, keep on adding. Hello? 100 plus 100 plus 100 plus 100. You have, you have enough hundreds. Come on now. Everybody say great faith. I want and God wants us as a body here at EBC to walk in great faith. Do you not, guys, do you not realize that God has graced us to be able to do some things beyond what a church of our size should be doing? Do you not realize, and again, I, 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 I had the privilege of understanding this because when I used to finance churches, I would do a comparison of all the churches in the, in the area and saw membership size and, and what they brought in numbers, I mean, monetary resource-wise. And, and I would see our church at this level of membership bringing in dollars at this level compared to a church that maybe this level in membership whose dollars were down here. So I know God can do it. I know God has brought together a group of people here of, of, of like-minded faith, He's blessed, amen, you with resources, with jobs, employment, businesses, has blessed you with a side hustle. Isn't that right, Tiffany? My favorite Uber driver. Some of y'all may need a little side hustle where you can bring in some extra resources. Amen? God has blessed us to be able to do some things that, People say, well, how can a church up there in the country in Benton, Louisiana, do what y'all are doing? We're doing it because God is blessing, and we're going to keep on letting him bless us. Amen? Everybody say great faith. Everybody say uncommon faith. Say, I want it, God. Say, I want to walk in it, God. I want you to use me in an uncommon way. Come on, get the Lord a hand of praise. God bless you.